Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. I get to talk for a few minutes about the Serve Sunday signups. And I'm really excited to do this because Serve Sunday sign-up Sundays might be my favorite Sundays of the whole year. And... Um, I just love seeing the body working together and seeing each person understand that they have a valuable um, set of gifts given to you by God to bless the body. And together, when we're all doing our part, church works the way God intended, and it's really powerful and really healthy and really good. And um, so there will be a little video at the very end of service to explain like the how-to of signing up. Um, but I'm just talking about more of like the bigger picture idea here. So God had this um, great idea, and so we're going to do church his way. How's that sound? Um, he, co- he compares it to a body, like our physical body, he says in Romans 12, that, you know, like we each have a body made up of many members. We have fingers, arms, shoulders, legs, knees, heart, brain, mouth, eyes. That's how the body is. And you might be the eye, you might be the shoulder, but whatever you are, it's really important or the body is not going to be full and complete. And um, actually, it it will, will be like a grotesque, like, image. <laughs> like if there's missing body parts, I was like, ooh, we, we better each do our part or we're going to be a not a very good looking church here. <laughs> All right, so um, in 1 Corinthians 12, this is the message. It says, in this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. How many of you want to find meaning? Everyone wants to feel connected and feel uh, a sense of uh, meaning and, and function. So this is how we do it. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe wouldn't amount to much, would we? So it's saying if we're not connected, if we're not doing our part, we're kind of like a chopped off finger or toe sitting off to the side. Yuck. Okay, so. So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelous functioning parts in Christ's body, let's go ahead and be what we're made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other. So we're not going to compare each other, ourselves and think, oh, that person's gift is greater or whatever. We're just, we're just good with what God gave us and we use that. Or trying to be something we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with a disadvantage, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. So I feel like that's some really good encouragement for us as we go into um, signing up to serve for this next year here at church. Um, And, you know, it just can't work with just a few people. 
It really does take each and every one of us. And as I'm looking around, I'm just so thankful. I mean, you guys have served faithfully for so many years. I'm just thinking of all the different roles I've seen you fill over the years. And it's just a huge blessing. You're doing such a good job. Um, but, you know, there is a place for everyone, no matter what gift set you have. So let's say, for example, that you're pretty technically minded, you know, maybe graphics team would be a good fit for you. <laughs> I get a little fist bump back there. Um, you know, maybe you're a really kind of patient, happy person. Kids ministry would be perfect for you. Um, maybe you're naturally, um, you know, at ease with talking to people and you're friendly. Fusion team would be a perfect fit. Um, maybe you're kind of like a super helpful person that you really can kind of do anything. You're just kind of faithful and you're able to do a lot of different things. You know, the, the Sunday atmosphere, or there's actually several different ones that would be a great fit for you. You know, maybe you're a really organized person. Um, you know, maybe the check-in for kids ministry or nursery would be a good fit for you. Um, maybe you have the heart to pray for people and you have the gift of faith. The prayer team would be a good fit for you. So there is a place for everybody. And how many of you feel like you kind of want to stick with the ministry that you've been doing like, for the past year? Yeah, and you feel like this is good. And how many of you are like, oh, I'm kind of ready for a change maybe? Anybody feel like that? Yeah, I felt like that sometimes too. Um, or maybe you're kind of like, yeah, I don't know where I would sign up. Um, and so if that's you, please come talk to me, talk to Tori, talk to some of the staff. We'd love to talk with you and find out what's going to be a good fit for your gift set and with your kind of schedule in your life. Now, the expectation is, is that if, you, if New Day is your church, that you would serve in some capacity. So um, that's, that's the expectation. Now, there's always exceptions. If someone has an extenuating circumstance or a situation in their life where it doesn't work to sign up, if that's you, come and talk to us. Come and tell us that. Don't decide that apart from relationship because you're going to end up feeling disconnected. So come toward relationship and say, this is where I'm at. I don't see how it's going to work. And maybe it won't, but maybe there will be a position that you could actually do during the week or ahead of time or would be quite flexible like a sub and that you can, you can get plugged in and you can be a part. Um, now, most roles do require membership. How many of you have your little packet that explains? Is, was that given out when you guys came in? Or they're in the back. Packets are in the back that explain everything. It's an amazing packet. You'll have to read it. Um, so, but most of the roles do require membership. So if you're not a member yet, just sign up for the role you want to serve in. And then let us know that you need to become a member and then um, we'll set up a time to go over the membership information with you um, and get that done before September when the new teams start. So don't let that hold you back. Just go ahead and sign up for where you want to be and then communicate that either by writing it on the connection card or an email or touching base um, with one of the staff. So how's that sound, you guys? We can accomplish great things together. Woo! Graham, here we go. All right, thanks, Marilee. Well, actually, this uh, 
sermon for this morning ties in uh, really directly with Sarah Sunday. So I don't know who schedules all that, but it ties together really well this morning. So, <laughs> so yay, church, for good coordinating or something. So, well, good morning, everyone. Um, it's great to be here with you and to share uh, on First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 19. So if you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll know that we have been um, in this uh, letter of First Peter. And uh, Peter was the apostle who uh, Christ said, you will be the foundation of the rock upon which I will build my church. So you remember in the Gospels that um, Peter was the one in whom Jesus said, you will be entrusted as the foundation upon which the church will be built. And it's this person, Peter, who's writing this letter. And so the last few weeks we've been going through this letter verse by verse. We've been learning what Peter has to share with us from the first century context in which he's been writing. And uh, we've been seeing how this letter applies to us today as we live here in Michigan, the 21st century. And there's some incredible things that Peter has been sharing with us as we've looked through this letter the last few weeks. And we continue this morning in chapter 4, and we pick up in verse 7. So this morning's message is actually going to be in two different sections. We're going to look at the first section, which is verses 7 to 11, and uh, we're going to look at that section first, and that will really complete one kind of um, passage of thought that Peter has been leading us through, and then from verses 12 to 19, we'll look at a different section this morning. So by the end of this morning, we'll be finished with chapter 4 of 1 Peter, and then we'll just have one more week looking at 1 Peter, and that will be chapter 5 that Aaron will take us through next week. So let's, uh, let's jump into it this morning, and let's have a look at this first section for this morning, which is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. I'm going to have them on the screen here. So let's read this, and uh, I'll just read it to you, and you can read along, and uh, just become familiar with these uh, verses that we're going to be looking at this morning. Peter writes, The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. All right, you can see a lot of tie-in this morning with our serve Sunday. So let's go back and look through these verses quickly. And uh, I just want to highlight a few things from these, from these verses that will help us to think about our main theme from these, from these verses that we look at, which is how do we live as Christians in community together with one another. So in the previous verses, in chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, Peter is saying, you as Christians, how do you live in relationship to people who are not in the church? How do you live in society where that society is actively um, causing you harm because you are a Christian? So remember, Peter's not writing to just one single group of people. He's not just writing to one single church. So remember maybe some of Paul's letters where there's a very specific church, a very specific congregation that he's writing to. Well, this letter is different because Peter is writing to people who are spread out over a wide area. And he uses a label to talk about those Christians 
that he's writing to, he calls them exiles. He says they're exiles. So we have this idea of the people he's writing to are kind of on the edges of society. They're on the margins of society. They're not, you know, they're not at the center of society. They're not making the big decisions. They're not influencing culture. They're on the edges of society. And society has kind of put them there because of their faith. These people are exiles. They've been sent from where they would truly call home, living kind of on the margins or the edges of society. And because of that, they're being persecuted for, for their faith. And we're going to look at that in our verses uh, 12 to 19 in just a little bit. So Peter has been talking about all of this. How do you relate as a Christian with people who are not Christians? How do you relate with your culture in general? Well, in these verses, starting in chapter uh, 4, verse 7, he says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so you may pray. With these words, Peter makes a transition in chapter 4 where he starts to talk about the ways in which we should live as Christians in community together. And that's a really important part. He's talked about how we should relate to the world at large. Now he's bringing it close to home. He's saying, okay, it's family talk, family time, right? When you're family together, how should you live? And that's what these verses uh, that we're looking at this morning are really um, all about. Peter says that the end is near. In the New Testament, there's this sense in which the end is near. Jesus is going to come back quickly. Jesus is going to come back soon. There's a sense in which Jesus, we know that Jesus has died on the cross, that he has um, defeated sin and death and hell, that he was buried and on the third day he rose again, that he appeared to many, he is uh, ascended into heaven and he said he will return. And that first century Christians lived with the deep expectation that Christ could come back at any time. And that's the sense of urgency that is in Peter's letter here in chapter 4. He writes these short statements about how the, uh, these people are supposed to live, how the Christians are supposed to live. And one of the things that he says is be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. So Peter's saying the end is near. And because the end is near, you have to have clear thinking. You have to have clear thinking. And the reason you have clear thinking is so that you can pray. So we kind of have this connection of ideas. The end is near, clear thinking and prayer. Have you ever been in a season of life where you just knew that the end was near? Maybe it's um, a job change that's coming up. Maybe it's um, family, some kind of family situation is changing. And you know it'll never be the same way again. Or maybe um, it's a health issue. Maybe you get a diagnosis. But in some way, you say, there's a season of my life that is ending. And I'm not sure what lies ahead. Have you ever been in that type of situation? Where you feel the unease of that one thing coming to a close. And the new thing has not yet happened. Well, in those situations, we naturally, our minds are focused, right? When you get news, bad news, or something is coming to an end, your mind will focus. And you'll suddenly say, I gotta prioritize. I gotta think straight in this situation. And the next step often is that you begin to pray, maybe a little more faithfully. You pray a little more clearly, you pray a little bit more specifically. Because you sense that the end is near in one season of life. And you're trying to make sense of it. And it's causing you to put your faith in God in a new way. Well, Peter is saying that for the church as a whole, this is a reality. That in the world in which we live, there's a sense in which the end is near. 
And the church as a whole, Peter is saying in these verses, the, ch the church as a whole should have this mindset where we are clear in our thinking and where we are brought into a place of prayer. That we should live as if the end is near. We should have that clarity of thinking and vision. In verse 8, Peter says that we are to love each other deeply. Above all, love each other deeply. And what does he say? Because love covers over a multitude of sins. So remember, this is how we live together as Christians. And we often think about our sin as a very individual and personal thing, right? We sin, we are aware of our sinfulness, and we think about that as an individual thing. But Peter here is saying that sin is not just individual, it also affects the community. It affects the church as a whole. So the thing about it is the word here for covers, it doesn't mean that you forget about the sin, that it never happened. It doesn't mean that we try to fix what happened. It simply means that that sin is considered as if it's disappeared or it's gone. Another translation would be to say that that sin is obliterated. So again, we need to distinguish between us as individuals and us as a community. So this verse is not saying that, for example, if I have sinned and I have come into church, come into Christian community, and I have not confessed that sin or asked God for forgiveness, or even if I've sinned against another person in this church, it's not saying that that, that has to go unaccounted for. That does have to be accounted for. That sin has to be accounted for. There has to be forgiveness. There has to be confession of sin. There has to be restoration. There has to be all of those things through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what Peter here, I think, is saying is that the community, the Christian community, should not be defined as a place where sin has the last word. The church should not be the place where sin has the last word. Instead, love should have the last word. Love should be the defining characteristic. Because when we come together as a Christian church, we come together kind of equally in need of Jesus. We come together equally in need of a Savior. We come together equally knowing our own sinfulness. And when we come in, we come into worship, we come into Christian community, we come into the church, and we confess our sin and we ask for forgiveness. This type of community is a community that is marked by love rather than sin. And that means a couple of things. One, it means that you know, practices of sin should not be present in the church as much as we can humanly uh, possibly live our lives, that we should seek to live lives of righteousness and holiness. But it also means that we should not hold each other's sins against, against the other person forever, right? Have you ever been part of a group where it's like, oh boy, so-and-so, you remember what they did? You remember what they did a few years ago? And that person can never get away from the shame or the stigma of what they did. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody has done something wrong, but then they've done everything they can possibly do to make it right, and still people bring it up against them? Maybe that's in a family, maybe it's in a, a workplace, but it shouldn't be in the church. Because love covers up a multitude of sins. Where, when we come into church, church should be the place where you walk in, and that sin is not held against you. Maybe your family holds it against you. Maybe society holds it against you. But when you come into the church, the church shouldn't hold it against you. 
Because the church should actively show you the love and the favor and the forgiveness of God. So we're to live in a way where love covers over a multitude of sins. Does that make sense this morning? That's a vision for church where you can walk through the doors and be embraced by the love of God as part of a community. In verse 9, Peter goes on and says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. When Peter wrote these words, there was a group of uh, preachers and teachers who would wander from, uh, from city to city, from place to place, and they would look for churches and places where they could preach and teach, and they would often need somewhere to spend the night. And, uh, you know, they would sometimes show up unexpectedly. Ugh, that's the worst, right? Somebody shows up unexpectedly. Knock on your door. Hey, can I spend the night? Uh, okay. But then sometimes they would uh, overstay their welcome. Uh, I think that maybe is worse, right? Somebody's in your house and they won't leave. How many days, is, how many days are you going to be preaching for? Okay, okay. Is there anywhere else you can stay? <laughs> Uh, sometimes they would put you out, right? Because you'd have to feed them, right? You'd have to give them the place of honor. Sometimes you would have to let them stay in your bed. That's, you, know, you know, these people were not rich, right? They had very limited means. So, you know, they're kind of putting you out. They've just shown up. You don't know how long they're staying. You could be tempted to grumble, right? Boy, this, this guy keeps hanging around at church. I wish he'd move on. Peter says, offer hospitality. Verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So this uh, verse contains the idea that we have each been given a gift, that we should use that gift to serve others, and then when we do so, we are honoring God. So this really ties in with the Serve Sundays here at New Day. And I think it really honors and affirms that we do each have a gift to give. Now, Peter doesn't list out the gifts here. Um, there's other parts of the New Testament where those gifts are listed out. And Merrily actually read from one of those this morning, 1 Corinthians, where Paul has written out these gifts. But it's the idea that each of us has something, something that we can bring, and something that serves God and gives him glory. In verse 11, uh, Peter does mention just a couple of things that... Uh, we can kind of um, focus on. He says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Now, the word for speaks here doesn't just mean, like, chit-chat and, you know, hey, how's it going? You know, he, Peter isn't saying, every word you say carries the weight and authority of God. Peter's not saying that. But he is saying that there are particular types of words that you can speak into other people's lives. There are words that you can speak that when you speak, it comes with the very authority and the weight of it as if God is speaking. And that that should be part of when we gather together as Christians to worship. When we gather together in community, there should be this exchange of words where we speak the words of God into each other's lives. So we're kind of familiar with that at New Day, right? Where we have the Rhema team prophetic ministry. And we have this idea where we speak prophetically into each other's lives. So there's words of wisdom. There's words of encouragement. There's words of life and words of affirmation. And Peter encourages us to do that in this verse. Because when we do that, we build bonds 
as a community, not just towards God and our individual relationships, but we also, as a community, when we speak these words of encouragement and life to each other, create a source of strength and cohesion for all of us together as a church. And so Peter encourages us to do this. He also says, if anyone serves, do it with the strength that God provides. Maybe you think, oh, serving, I don't know if I can do that. Peter says there's a strength that God provides when we serve. And that's encouraging to us. And then Peter finishes this section talking about the fact that uh, in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. He's excited, right? He's talking about the church. He's talking about Christian community. He's talking about the ways in which we should live together. And with this final amen, with this praise, this doxology, he closes out this section of First Peter. He's excited, talking about Christian community. So we're going to follow Peter's pattern. We're going to just pause for a moment. We're going to pray. Then we're going to jump into the next section to finish out. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are glorified when we live together in right relationship with each other. When we live together in community, when we love each other, when we serve each other, when we speak into each other's lives, God, you are glorified. You are honored by the way we live among each other. You are honored by the way that we serve each other, by the way we speak to each other. You are honored when we love each other. Thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us this morning, oh God, how to live in community. Amen. All right, so that's part one. Part two, we're going to quickly deal with it. It really contains a main, one main thing that we're going to look at. And let's read these verses together, starting in verse 12. Dear friends, there's an indication right there. This is a new section of 1 Peter. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may overjoy when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So the theme of these verses is suffering in the Christian life and suffering for the glory of God. So one of the things about, Aaron and I were talking about this just before service, one of the things about going through a passage of scripture verse by verse is that you come across sections that you normally would not deal with on a Sunday morning, right? How many of you have heard many sermons that you can remember on suffering for God's glory? No one? No takers? Okay. So maybe you're at home and you're reading 1 Peter and you get to this passage on suffering for God's glory and you say, yep, that's nice. I think we're done with 1 Peter. 
Uh, there are many, many parts of the world in which these verses would have the most meaning when they read First Peter. They would say, I am suffering. People are actively attacking me. I fear for my life. Has the Bible anything to tell me when I am fearing for my life because I'm a Christian? I think these verses would be very, very comforting. It would at least tell you God is aware that people suffer for their faith. So for us, we're not suffering. I'd say most of us have not known suffering to the degree that Peter is addressing in these verses. And yet there still is something that we can learn. So in our culture, we don't typically put these two ideas together. We don't typically put together the idea of suffering and glory. Suffering is a good thing. Normally, if we're suffering, we say, God, take it away. Please make this suffering stop. Um, if you see campaigns where people are raising money to fight you know, a cause or something like that, the language of, you know, make the suffering end or end the suffering, that's a really common expression in our culture, right? You never hear anyone say, prolong the suffering, right? Say, so what's wrong with you? Strange. Suffering is a good thing. No, what? No. But that's what Peter is saying. Okay, so we've got to do a little bit of work this morning to figure this out. And I think we can make sense of it. So first of all, we need to understand what type of suffering is Peter talking about? Because not all suffering is the same. Um, Sometimes suffering comes to a community because of a natural disaster. Sometimes suffering comes because of um, some other factor. And you as an individual just get swept up in that that community suffering, right? Something happens to your community, you just end up as part of that. So sometimes that's the type of suffering that happens. That's actually the type of suffering that's happening in this passage, in some ways. But sometimes suffering is just the result of bad choices. You know? Like, Jim and I were working the other day, I was so hungry, trying to get to the job site, stopped at McDonald's, ate way too much food, and there was suffering. You know, not at the time, but later, I was like, oh, that was the worst. (laughs) So sometimes suffering is just, you know what, that's the predictable result of a choice you made. Um, But sometimes suffering comes from outside, right? Sometimes suffering is out of your control. So we have to be clear on the type of suffering we're talking about. Sometimes suffering comes because the direct result of just sinful behavior, right? Sometimes you just do something that you know is sinful, and you suffer as a result, right? We can kind of make that connection, right? But Peter here is talking about a suffering that comes specifically for your faith. It's the type of suffering that happens... When you're living one way, where you're part of what society says is the way you should live your life, you're not a Christian, you're living your life, you're, you know, read the verses before, verses 1 to 6. There's a lifestyle that Peter talks about of sin that these Christians were formerly part of, and they have come into 
saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, where they have actively made a decision, I'm not going to live that way anymore, I'm going to live as a Christian, and because I live as a Christian, I'm now living so different than the rest of society, that the rest of society says, we are going to attack you, we're going to persecute you because of the way you live, because of your faith, and that's the suffering that Peter is talking about in this passage. We do in our culture, though, have some idea of what it takes to connect suffering and glory. We often will connect these. I thought of two ways in our society that we connect these two ideas. So the first is sports or athletics. Society just, if you listen to sports, athlete is getting into the gym first thing in the morning, right? You can't get into the gym early enough in the morning to satisfy sports radio people. They want you in the gym at 3 o'clock every morning. They want you there first thing in the morning. They want you to be the last person to leave at night. They want you to suffer for your greatness, right? LeBron James, you're the best basketball player in the world. Tell us how much you suffered. Tell us how much you have put in. Tell us about the work that you have put in, right? More pain, more gain, right? Suffering and glory, right? We don't want to hear about athletes where they're like, oh, no, I just show up. <laughs> just show up. We don't want to hear about that, right? Someone's training for a marathon. You want to hear their, oh, I went for this terrible run the other day. Oh, that's great. <laughs> the worst thing would be if you just showed up and ran that marathon. We want to hear about those terrible training runs. In the military, we honor this too, right? Suffering, sacrifice, and glory go together, right? We don't give glory to people who have not suffered for anything. So there is a type of suffering that can lead to glory. Even in our culture, we understand that those two ideas can go together. And Peter wants to put those ideas together. Where he says, if you suffer as a Christian, there is glory in that. And the glory comes because of our connection with Christ. So look at verse 13. And this to me is the key to this passage this morning. Verse 13. Rejoice. Inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So in verse 12, he's like, don't be surprised that society is attacking you for being a Christian. Don't be surprised that this test to your faith has come. It shouldn't be a surprise. You're living your life completely different. Everything in your life is oriented in a completely different direction than everyone else. Of course people are going to treat you different. But rejoice. So in verse 13, who is the one who's suffering? Right there at the start of the second line. Rejoice because you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So you can really easily overlook this. I think it's the key here because when we're suffering for our faith, the one who suffers most is actually Christ himself. That the reason that we are suffering for the faith is because we're suffering because of our identification with Jesus Christ himself. We are so connected with Jesus. We are so one with Jesus in our faith that we really are suffering with him and he is suffering with us. Now, if we were just suffering on our own for some idea or some concept, that's one type of suffering. What Peter is saying, you are actually suffering 
alongside of Christ Jesus. Have you ever thought that Jesus' suffering has not ended on the cross, but Jesus continues to suffer when his name is attacked, when the glory of who he is is undermined every day? And there are some times where we are drawn into the suffering of Jesus because we identify with him. Peter says here, we participate in the sufferings of Christ. So as he suffers, sometimes we also suffer. It doesn't end with verse 13, though, because it says in verse 14 that you are blessed if this happens to you. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You know, there's something, when you read stories of people who have been persecuted for their faith, people who have suffered for the name of Jesus... They'll tell you consistently that there is something about that experience that draws you closer to Jesus in a very unique way than they've ever felt before. That even in the midst of suffering for the name of Jesus, there is grace. There is the spirit of glory and of God that rests on them. And so if we ever find ourselves in this situation where because of our faith, we are suffering in some way, we can be assured that our suffering contributes to the glory of God because there will be the glory of God to be revealed that we will be part of. There's an idea if we suffer with Christ, we are glorified with him and that we know that we are blessed. It's not an instinctive thing that our minds and our hearts can grab onto. But this is where we allow scripture to speak into our hearts and minds. To reorient us. Peter says one more distinction that we'll close with this morning. He says there's a type of suffering where you suffer for this glory and for this great cause. And where all of the suffering is oriented towards this great future hope and glory. He says that's how it is for Christians. But sometimes when you're suffering and you're going through it, you can say, man, is this me? Should I really feel this way? And Peter makes a really important distinction. He says, there's a distinction between the type of suffering you go through as a Christian for the name of Jesus Christ and other types of suffering. You can imagine this culture that Peter's writing into that people would have said to the Christians, you know, they would have treated them badly. And the Christians maybe got together and they said, boy, they're, they're treating us just like we're criminals. Right? They, you know, we're just kind of pushed to the edges of society and they're treating us really, you know, what have we done wrong? They're treating us like criminals. But Peter makes a really important distinction. He says, there's a type of suffering that goes along with being a criminal. And there's a type of suffering that goes along with being a murderer. Right? Society looks at you a certain way. You're, you know, you go to prison, whatever, your life in some ways is just over. But there's also a deep shame that comes with that type of suffering. Right? There's a deep shame that comes with having done some kind of evil, with having committed a crime. There's a, deep, there's a shame that comes with that. And Peter writes to the Christians and says, even if you kind of think mentally, like it's almost like we're criminals, he's like, you don't have the shame associated with your suffering that criminals have with theirs. He's like, don't ever allow yourself, when you're suffering as a Christian, to feel shame. Because shame does not belong in the vocabulary of being a Christian suffering for the name of Jesus. There's no shame in that. In fact, there's glory in that. 
So if you're ever tempted when you're suffering to feel shame, put that thought out of your mind because it's only glory as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. All right, suffering for the glory of God. Not a passage that we typically jump into, but there you have it. Welcome to 1 Peter <laughs> chapter 4. All right, let's take a moment and let's pray together as we wrap up this morning. And uh, I just wanted to take this opportunity to just pray for, you know, Christians around the world who are suffering for their faith. And uh, maybe you have traveled overseas, maybe you've worked with a mission organization, or maybe you know people who are serving, but if not, that's okay. Let's join together in prayer, and you can just pray in general along with me. We can pray for the church around the world. We can pray for people who are suffering for their faith. We can pray that the Spirit of God would rest upon them and give them comfort and strength this morning. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this letter of 1 Peter. God, a challenging word this morning where we think about suffering for the name of Jesus. Suffering for the cause of the glory of God. And Father, there are many Christians around the world, there are many Christian communities around the world where these verses would hold deep meaning and resonance this morning. Where they would actively feel oppression, violence, prejudice, where there are so many things that would work against them. And God, we pray for your comfort, we pray for your peace, we pray for the Spirit to rest on those communities, those individual Christians around the world that are facing trouble, God, that you would come in and that you would bless them with your presence, that you would strengthen them, and above all, Lord God, that they would give you glory. Pray for us, Lord God, pray that you would allow us to Take comfort in these verses, God. There are those occasions where our faith puts us on the outside, God. When our faith sets us aside is so different than the others we are with. Help us, God, to look to your glory. To look at how we can glorify your name. Give us the strength we need.